Hello and welcome to the Race Ride Seat podcast. I think that's what we're calling this. Yeah. It's been such a long time since we've done one that mm. I don't even know what it's called anymore. <laughs> I don't even know what episode we're up to or what season. Um, I am Jesse Carlson and I'm here with... Teeth. <laughs> Sarah Hammond. Teeth. We're in our salubrious top tent. In far north Queensland in Atherton. Um, the drink for tonight is uh, $6.99, a $6.99 Shiraz, uh, Shiraz called the Accomplice. Uh, 2018 Shiraz from, I don't even know where it's from. Where's it from, Teeth? The bottle shop. Yeah, from Bilbul <laughs> in New South Wales. Um, and tonight we are lucky enough to be talking to Jimmy Ashby. Yeah. Jimmy Ashby is a pretty special individual. He is, he's 19 years old? 20 now. 20 now. 20 20. now. He was 18 he when was, he left. He was 18 when he started um, a lap of the world. Yeah. So he's ridden 39,000 kilometers, I think. 500 kilometers. Around the globe on his mm. bike. Um, and yeah, we're lucky enough. We're lucky enough to be just about to talk to him um, mm-hmm. about his experiences um, really looking forward to it because um, Tiff and I, we've both done shorter, shorter missions. Faster, yeah. yeah, race, race missions. Um, but Jimmy's lived on his bike for 13 months, um, traveled around the world as a young man. And Did you say 32 countries? I think, yeah, 30 something yeah, countries. He was meant maybe. to do like 18 and mm. he just ramped it up. He did 10,000 more kilometers mm. than he had to. Incredible. So we're going to hear about Jimmy's experiences. We're going to hear about what he ate, his worst, his worst experiences with food, his favorite countries, his worst, his least favorite countries, um, and also some stuff about um, some lesser, you know, some stuff that isn't spoken about too much in terms of, you know, post trip blues and all that sort of thing. Um, anyway, so let's take it away and zip over to Jimmy. Let's see if he's on the line. Jimmy, I'm very well. Cool. Very good to hear. I've got I've got teeth here as well. Hi. Sarah, hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> yeah, very good, thanks. Oh, it's good to chat to you. Yeah. It's well, been a long time. Yeah. It's been, it's been, been a while. Yeah. Is this is this recorded? Is yes. this live? We're just gonna go straight into it, mate. Okay. <laughs> it's live. Yeah, no it's live from a tent. Yeah, from a tent. Yeah, you, you might be able to hear the frog sounds in the background. You know, evening <laughs> evening tropic sounds, which I'm sure you're familiar yeah, with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I'm back in Asia. Yeah, all, <laughs> all the bugs are starting to go wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> well, welcome back, Jimmy. Thank you. Yeah, it's cool to be here. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a wild year for sure. Yeah. So, just. We we know a little bit about what you've been up to, but how about just just tell us what you've been up to for the last year? Yeah. Pretty wild. So for the past 13 months, I've been cycling around the world. So I started in Adelaide um, of April 2018 as a young 18-year-old boy. <laughs> and from there, I cycled 39,500 kilometers across Australia, New Zealand, the United States, Europe, Turkey, Central Asia, and then Southeast Asia, back to Adelaide. So I've just returned literally a week ago and, yeah, trying to kind of comprehend everything and what it is, see mum and dad, see friends. So it's been not only a wild 13 months, but a pretty wild week since mm-hmm. getting home. You must yeah. not – it must be um... – must be a, a really strange feeling to, to come back to what you call home after such a long time. What was it what was it like yeah. rolling rolling back into Adelaide? It was weird. So it was a very wet day. Like I went about two weeks with not a single drop of rain and then the afternoon I rode into Adelaide it poured. So <laughs> I think that deterred um, some friends and family from coming out. But what I kinda of found is like, I've had weeks, months to kind of process, yeah, I'm going to get there, I'm going to cycle around the world, 
it wasn't a surprise to me. Um, but then as I rolled in, I think to all my friends and family that hadn't seen me in a long time, they were a lot more excited to see me. <laughs> and they were all buzzing, jumping around. And it was very overwhelming. Like, I didn't expect two of my best friends, Amy and Rob, to be there. They'd flown from Exmouth, WA, and Launceston in Tasmania oh, to meet me. Wow, that's kept cool. A very cool <laughs> secret. And you can actually see, there's a couple of news articles. You see the moment I lay eyes on them. And I was holding it together, but then I'm just a, a weeping lad. <laughs> I'm a mess. So, a lot of emotion. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, just rewind a little bit. So, you've got what on earth possessed you as a, as a young fella, 18 years old, to just go and cycle around the world? Yeah, well, I like to ride my bike, essentially. That's kind of if you break it down to the core. I love riding my bike. I don't particularly like sitting in a classroom or going to university. So, I wanted to travel. Like after finishing year 12, I worked for a year in the outdoors and I was lucky to get quite a good job, get some good money behind me. And then it was a question of, well, what could I spend it on? What do I love? So I looked at my bike and initially I planned to do like Southern Europe. So Greece all the way up to the Nordcap in Norway. But then I was out climbing with one of my friends and I don't think he realised he did this, but he kind of joked, well, just go around the world. And something clicked, and then in a few weeks it snowballed, and I was sat around the dining room table telling mum I was going to go away for a year and cycle the world. <laughs> <laughs> and what was what was your family's re- reaction to that, that initial thought? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting conversation. As <laughs> in, my mum and dad, they're incredible people. And I'm very fortunate that they know the cycle touring life. They've got the bugs themselves. So they actually met in Tasmania as younger people. We were cycling around, ran into each other and fell in love. And together they've cycled um, a lot of Europe, kind of Scandinavia, and a heap of travel around the world on bikes. So they were young when they were doing it. So they couldn't turn around and say, hey, no way. <laughs> it was kind of like, well, you were doing it. Why can't I? And from there, they knew either way I was going to do it. So they might as well give me full support, be behind me, and yeah, help me on my way, which they did. They were integral parts of my ride. And I think you've told me in the past that you you actually you've done some cycle tours in the past when you were when you were younger with your folks as well. So yeah, um, was that was that a big part of growing up? You know, did, did you do a lot of outdoorsy things with your folks? Definitely. Like, we were never a family that would go to Bali or um, Dreamworld on the Gold Coast. We'd always go <laughs> to the Grampians. We'd um, bring the bikes. Uh, we'd go walking in the bush, big tents by lakes. And I remember one day I was in the shed with Dad, and it is an incredible shed. The amount of history and old steel bikes It is incredible. What a cool shed we've got. And I went in there and I found this incredibly beautiful cherry-coloured Columbus, no, sorry, Reynolds 531 tubing, um, barely ridden. And I looked at Dad and said, hey, can I hop on this? So we slammed the seat as much as we could. And it was still too big for me. But we went out on the bike path and we started to ride together. Um, And from there, we kind of decided, well, I decided, I like to cycle around Kangaroo Island. So I was 14 at this point. Wow. And mum said, no way you're doing that on your own. And looked at dad and dad said, all right, I'll get back into it. So it was the first trip he had done in a long time. We spent <laughs> a week doing, I look back at it and it's ridiculous. We had these enormous panniers on the back. And we were just doing wheelies the whole way across KI. <laughs> It was pretty hilarious. <laughs> we looked like a bunch of comedians going past farm, farms. And <laughs> but no, I look back at that with super fond memories. Um, we were camping, you know, roughing it with our own food. But then when I was 16, I went and cycled around Tasmania solo just before year 12. I just needed to get away for a bit before the final year kicked in. And then after year 12, instead of going off to schoolies and going partying, 
I packed up my bike again and went to New Zealand for three weeks and just kind of toured the South Island and got pretty cold and wet. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Mm. It's it sounds like you've had you like speaking to you, Jimmy. You sound much older than you're yeah. now. Nineteen years. Um, twenty. Twenty, 20 now. Twenty. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, yeah. You sound you sound much more mature and and um, that than your your age your age defines. So how do you? How do you find um, talking to your friends? Do your friends ha- have your friends had similarly adventurous backgrounds, or or do they do they look at you and go, "Oh wow, what's Jimmy up to next?" Or oh, here we go. Or yeah. how does uh, how do you relate to to folks who are similar age to you? Similar age? Yeah, yeah, it's tricky. Um, for me, yeah, I've got a lot of really close friends that are involved in the outdoors, um, have done incredible things on their bikes and rock climbing, kayaking, but they're all quite a bit older than me. Mm-hmm. I've just kind of jumped on and started going through expeditions with them um, through work and things like that. But since being home, I've actually caught up with a lot of people from my year 12 cohort, and it's tricky. I find it really hard to talk about what I've done and share it with them because they've all been at university. And I look at it like I can't fully comprehend what I've done yet like mm-hmm. I look at it and I'm still in a bit of like disbelief it's yeah it's a big thing so then I struggle to then try and share it with them especially if they're not cyclists themselves like how do you tell someone that's never ridden a bike that you rode 100 150 kilometers day after day across all these countries and ended up doing 39,000 it's kind of yeah I don't think they fully understand or I don't know how to fully share it with them, mm. which is an interesting dynamic. Well, I think that's, in some ways, that defines a special experience. It's something that that you've that you've experienced yourself. There's no way you can share it, really. Um, we can yeah. only scratch the surface <laughs> of it in our little chat here. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's, that's the beauty of, of what you've done. It's something that you've experienced. It's personal and it's an achievement that you've, you've had and um and uh those beautiful things like that are sometimes really hard to share Um, yeah mm. Mm. well it's interesting i find it also hard to share with even people that have done similar things like anyone can go out and ride the exact same route i did through the exact same days but they'll have a different experience which i find really cool Mm. like it's one off no one's gonna go through what i went through Mm. 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 yeah now you had a very special cause um, that you attached to your ride as well, Jimmy. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, definitely. So once I decided I want to do this ride, I figured, hey, it's going to be something big. A lot of people are going to be following. Why don't I try and make some sort of impact in another sense? So I chose motor neurone disease as a charity because I've lost two people in my life to the disease my lovely gran when I was a young boy and also my distance running coach at Flinders Athletics Club and kind of seeing what it did to the person with it but also the family and friends around it just broke my heart and I thought hey let's try and do something for this so I set the goal of raising a dollar a kilometer which I'm going well on I'm well over 30,000 donations are still clicking in and it's very exciting I've had incredible amounts of support from people I wouldn't have expected support from. And how how can people donate to this cause? They can still donate, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. You can how, always donate. How do they yeah. donate? If you go to my website, jimmyashbyaroundtheworldbybike.com, you'll find all the links to donate. You'll find uh, a lot of information about my ride as well, a heap of stories and photos, but uh, you'll find the link if you wish to donate. That's fantastic. Now, you you obviously had a before you headed out, you would have had a picture in your mind about how this adventure was going to pan out. Yes. Um, now that you've returned, how does it look compared to that picture that you had in your mind? Nothing like it, Jesse. <laughs> I left with a white picture and came back with a black picture. It's yeah, 
So initially when I set out, I was going to try and hit the 29,000 kilometers. So following the Guinness World Record rules, I had a whole route planned. And essentially I got to the other side of America, realized I was already going to be over the 29,000. And I also realized a whole number of countries weren't going to let me in with visas because it was going to be quite a tricky process from getting them outside my home country. So from there, I initially planned, I think it was 18 countries. I ended up visiting 32, doing an extra 10,000 kilometers, going places I didn't expect to go. But yeah, it was, it was incredible. Like every day there was something new, something I wasn't expecting. Sometimes it was good. Sometimes not so good, <laughs> but yeah, it was a very cool picture that ended up coming out for sure. Mm. Are there any particular memories that stand out? Oh, yeah, everywhere. I mean, yeah. Now, if I asked you to go, right, quick, what's a memory? What would first jump into your mind? The Pamir Highway, yeah, mm. up through Tajikistan, dropping down onto the Afghan border, and I remember... On Tajikistan is about 900 kilometers of just this fast flowing river that separates you from Afghanistan. And I remember getting to that border and just looking and thinking, holy hell, that's this country that's at war and I'm literally a stone throw away from it. Mm-hmm. And as I kept going down, you'd pass these villages, kids would be on the side waving at you. And oh, that moment definitely kind of changed a lot of my mentality and played a huge impact into pushing me into who I kind of am now. So how do you mean? What was, um, how did it change your mentality? Right. Well, we might need to go back a bit. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) when I started, I had like a huge ego. I know I was this 18 year old kid that kind of thought he was Superman. I was wearing skin tight Lycra. I was aero is better <laughs> going light and fast. And I definitely missed quite a bit the first couple of months kind of trying to go, 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 trying to hit the 29,000, doing it faster. I look back with a little bit of regrets, but then across America, I had one of my best mates, Chad Freak, who is an incredible cyclist in his own right. He actually rode your Race to the Rock route. Yeah, I remember. I remember that. Yeah, a month or two before you guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he's a huge um, person in my life. Like, he came and met me. He rode through uh, Colorado over Brackenridge with me. And I don't know what it was. He said a few things. He... um, kind of the way he went about things changed my mentality and I realised I was probably doing this all for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I was doing it to say I cycled the world. I was prancing about saying, look at me, I'm this kid, wonder, wonder boy, you know. <laughs> and he kind of planted the seed and from there I became a lot more humble or tried to be across Eastern, Amer- Eastern America. But then it was, yeah, as I flew into Kyrgyzstan from America, so I flew, yeah, America to Kyrgyzstan and then into that culture and coming through the premieres, which was so rugged, I dealt with attitude sickness, the barrenness, the food, and it kind of broke away every bit of that ego, that mentality I have. And I feel like when I got to that Afghan border, it was like, whoa, this war-torn country is so beautiful. And there I was trying to show off and be this kid that I wish everyone knew my name and it just changed everything. It kind of capped it off. Um, and from there, I just was content with riding, going as far as I had to go each day, not pushing it, taking little routes off the side, spending time with the cyclists I meet, going into people's homes when I got invited. And yeah, the trip took a turning point from there on. Mm-hmm. How did you, so with your memories, memories of the trips, are they colored by, are they more memories of interactions with people that you had or are they pictures of, of, um, you know, landscapes or particular roads or parts of the world? Is it people, people or landscapes that come to mind? (laughs) It's both. Mm. Like, yeah, I mean, different countries have different aspects. Um, Often I'll think of landscapes 
and then like huge valleys and mountains. And then I'll picture those beautiful people I met. Um, they kind of go hand in hand for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Now, I've got to ask, what was the what was your favourite country? Um, yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> I think that's what I've been asked the most. Oh, really? Um, you know, yeah, I can look at any country and say, hey, this is awesome, mm. that sucked. Um, and often it was the most recent place. I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the best. And I get somewhere new and be thinking, no, no, this is the best. <laughs> but now I'm home and looking back on it all, for me it's somewhere like Tajikistan or Nepal, when I was truly on the back roads out of the touristy areas, you'd go for days and then not see anybody but these small little villages with just beautifully smiley kids and families and you'd be on these huge mountain passes and then out of nowhere it would come a tuk-tuk with like a goat strapped on the roof full of four people and they'd all be waving at you. (laughs) And you think, how the hell did you get here? It's taken me three days of walking. And, yeah, it's those countries, the back roads, yeah, Nepal, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan. Mm. All right. Well, that was that's an easy one. What about – what was your least favourite country to cycle in? <laughs> that's easy. India. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. Oh, wow. Why? Why was it so terrifying? So many cars, people – and so little road rules. No road rules, in fact. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, you choose what side of the road works best for you. And you'll come around these corners and there's two oversized lorries overtaking each other <laughs> on these mountain passes. And it's a matter of you get off the road, otherwise you're going to be flat on the road. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the pollution level, you'd finish the day and you'd just be covered. Like, I reckon I'm still pulling dirt and pollution out of my nails from months ago. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And what probably made it harder was with India, there's just so many people not really doing anything. So you'd stop to buy curry, buy food, and within seconds you'd be swarmed by a pack because you're, you're a novelty. You're this white person standing out on a bicycle. So suddenly you're surrounded by these packs of people. If you're not careful, the little kids are trying to unzip your bags and steal all your stuff. <laughs> and it, it was terrifying because I've never been surrounded by so many people yet felt so alone, not speaking the language, not really understanding what was happening. And, yeah, India was tough. Mm. I don't know if I'd go back there on a bike. Mm. Did you have any tricks for dealing with those situations where you just felt mobbed? Yeah, <laughs> keep riding, really. <laughs> Just get out of there. Yeah, yeah, it's good motivation. Mm. You kind of stop and fill your bags with apples and then mm. go until you find another apple seller sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of food, what was, uh, the, what was the worst thing you ate? Oh, easy. <laughs> if, it it's, if you can milk. make it one. Yeah. Horse milk. Horse milk. So yeah. in Kyrgyzstan, I was coming up with this pasta and this farmer had maybe five or ten horses, and he was really excited. He called me over, called me over. <laughs> I put my bike on the side, walked over to him, and he was very proudly showing off his um, herd of horses, like full-grown horses, and his friend was there literally milking the udders into a bucket, yeah. and he went and grabbed the bucket, and within three seconds from it going from udder, it was at my lips to drink oh. it, still warm. <laughs> it is the worst thing I've ever had. I think that made me really sick. Oh. It hit me running foods for a while. You're not going to look but, at a uh, horse the same way? No, never. I would never <laughs> drink horse milk again. I can't drink normal milk again. <laughs> it's ruined it all. <laughs> you absolutely no. hate horses now, period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, kept, um, you kept a diary of sorts when you were away? Uh. I remember yeah, so, reading, talking about food, like you'd highlight the highs when you got to get a can of Coke or a Slurpee or yeah, something yeah. like that. Have you um have you had a chance to go back through that now that you've arrived back home? Yeah. So I've written one and a half journals. And a lot of people say, oh, Jimmy, are you going to write a book? Can you write a book? And I've already written one and a half. Yeah. So... Yeah, they're very special things to me because every day I've written a little note. Sometimes it's a big note, sometimes little. 
But looking back, there are some hilarious things. <laughs> so one of my favorite ones, when I was in Tajikistan, a mosquito was in my book. And I think I've closed the book and squashed the mosquito. <laughs> and I've still got the squash mosquito in my book. <laughs> All the way from Tajikistan. That little guy's gone a long way. So when there's, there's an outbreak of mosquitoes in Adelaide, we're going to know what's happened. You know yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's some very cool things. You can tell when I'm really tired as well because you can't understand what I'm saying. Well, I've just started scribbling. But no, they're very funny to look and read back through. So you have been reading back through them? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, there, is there any one entry that stands out for you? Um. Oh. There might be. Mm. I need to find it. There was one. I put a few on Instagram. Yeah, I remember. Um, <laughs> yeah, I reckon I've got it here. It was... So when I was in the premieres, I had a very tough day. So up at 4,200 metres, I, um, I got a bit excited and kind of blasted up thinking, no, I'm too good for this. Attitude sickness isn't going to get me. It did get me. And <laughs> I was just below Akbatau Pass, which is the 4,600-metre climb. And I was, like, dehydrated. I was not doing good. I hadn't seen anyone maybe a day or so. I had no service. And I could hardly stand. There's a very cool photo of me, actually, that I've put on Instagram. And you can see the – people say you can see the life out of my eyes. But that night, I wrote um, in my journal, and it was this. It went, headwinds to begin, then the climb to Akbatau begins. Roads turn crap at 25 kilometres to summit. Ran out of water. Altitude really got me. Cracked before the climb began, and huge headaches. Could hardly stand. Finished at 3.30 and huddled in pain in my tent. Couldn't eat. I might die tonight. So <laughs> I look back at that, it's like, eh, probably weren't going to die. But <laughs> yeah, little things like that in the moment. It's a different yeah. state of mind, isn't it? Oh, it is, definitely. When, when you read yeah, it once yeah. you're home and rested and you you almost think you're writing stuff down like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You look back and it's like, oh, wasn't that bad, Jimmy. What are you on about? <laughs> speaking, of, but, um, yeah. speaking of writing, you wrote a letter to yourself before you left. Oh, yeah. How magic's that? Yeah. I forgot about it. But how cool is 18-year-old Jimmy for doing that? Hey? <laughs> Do you want to talk about the letter a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I can. Um, would you like me to read it? I've got it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. how did the idea come about for this thing? Or Yeah, just tell us about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was basically a couple of weeks before I left. I figured, um, yeah, I was telling the people, they were saying, you know, enjoy it take what comes, um, who knows who you're going to be when I get home. And I was like, yeah, who knows, hey, I wonder. So I just wrote myself a letter at what I was thinking, how I was feeling, and a few little things that I knew I should try and remember and hold on to for when I get back. You know, the best parts of me when I was 18, yeah, remind myself when I'm, whenever it is I get back. So hmm, there's a, I'll read the final bit here. Yep. It said... I can't even think, even start to think about who you are at the moment. Probably quite skinny and tanned, but the challenges you would have faced, beauty you would have seen, and the kindness of people around the world will no doubt have shaped you into a new person, mm -hmm. a better person. People are already asking me what my plans are for when I return, and I know you'll always be getting asked about the future. But promise me that every day, live in the moment and take what comes. I've thought about moving to Tasmania, traveling the oceans of the world, or the next big bike trip. Just do whatever makes you the happiest, follow your heart, and everything else will fall into place. I guess I should kind of wrap this up then. Amazing stuff, Jimmy. You just rode around the world, completed your dream, and maybe even made a difference to somebody's life. That's special. Remember, wherever you go, whatever you do next, dreams do come true. You just prove that. Keep dreaming, big buddy. I better head off now. Got a big ride ahead of me. <laughs> 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 so, so good. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Oh, that's great. Mm. Now, um, so when <laughs> we're talking about food a little bit earlier, uh, yeah. And look, we Tiff and I both lived in Melbourne, um, and we're we're quite 
quite not excited. Anymore. Yeah, not, not anymore. anymore. <laughs> not anymore. We're in, we're living in a tent here. You can probably hear all the tropical bugs. Yeah, we're drinking like, red, wa- yeah. red wine from camping mm. cups. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but yeah. So you've you've kind of you've sampled the world's cuisines, and I, I think we were we're in Melbourne, and you know Melbourne had a lot of a lot of cuisines from all around the world, and um, mm-hmm. you've probably you've sampled them all, Jimmy. And so, are you, are you yeah. missing any? Are you missing any foods from your ride? Oh, yeah. You know, speaking about India, I did say I would never ride there, but I'd go back for the food. <laughs> but around Melbourne, I'm sure you get some pretty good curry houses. Yeah. But yeah, curry in India is done very well, as you'd probably imagine. Mm. And you roll up. There's these little people. They've got a stall. Um, a hot plate and it's like on wheels that they push to and from their home and you roll up it'll cost you a dollar for all you can eat curry and it is just incredible the flavors the bread they give to you and it's magic but there's also a danger there so i'd say it's 50 50 whether it's (laughs) whether it's going to be super spicy or uh edible so a lot of the time i was so hungry i just wanted food and i'd sit at these stalls and they'd give you this plate of curry and your first mouthful, you know, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> and by your second mouthful, you're already sweating, you're tearing up, <laughs> but you're so hungry, you're forcing it in. Mm. And you look around and there's like nine or ten-year-old boys eating it like nothing. And there you are, whimpering <laughs> like a little sook because you can't take the spice. Mm. That was very funny. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. Did you have any scary experiences on the road out there? Um, I did. Probably in the Western cultures, I had some scarier moments in terms of where I was camping. Um, I got yeah approached by some drugged up, drunk people in the night that would kind of give you a rough time. And it's more of a pain than anything. Mm. Like they were never going to hurt me, but it's just I'm just going to get going again in the middle of the night and um, find somewhere else. But scarier moments than people is the wildlife. Some very mm. scary encounters with dogs. Like you've both ridden across America and you know the dogs in Kentucky. Yeah. They're like little puppies compared to um, <laughs> Georgia, Azerbaijan, Central Asia. Like, the dogs through there literally want to rip flesh out of your skin. (laughs) And you'd be camped at night, and you'd wake up at 2am to a pack of dogs just Mm. going nuts at your tent. Mm. (laughs) And you're like this little um, burrito in your sleeping bag just waiting to be eaten (laughs) by these dogs. (laughs) So you try your best to yell and make noise and hope they go away. But I also heard through Kazakhstan, you'd be lying dead still, not a breath of wind, and just these howling wolves in the distance. And you know, yeah, if they come close, something could happen. Mm. But I think I got pretty lucky, yeah. Mm. How did <laughs> yeah. you deal with the dogs? What did you do to combat them? Um, <laughs> I normally yell at them. Yeah. So with <laughs> that whole area is Russian-speaking, so I got good at yelling, Niet, which is no in Russian. Mm. Um. And then if that didn't work, I'd ask him nicely. I'd be saying, please don't bite me. <laughs> <laughs> and if that didn't work, I'd, I'd often not be able to outride him, so I'd just stop and I'd mm. put my bike between him, swing my pump at him sometimes. But, yeah, <laughs> hope the car comes by and scares him off. Yeah, mm. had plenty of time to experiment with different strategies, I imagine. Definitely. Mm. Luckily, I never got it wrong. I was never bitten. <laughs> we are laughing yeah. a little bit because I'm the only person that's ridden across America and never experienced a single dog. Seriously? Uh, yeah. Mm. Everyone, it's just, yeah, I've still never right. faced a dog yet. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget in Kentucky, I had a three-legged dog catch me. I realized maybe I should call it a day. <laughs> I was a bit tired. <laughs> How did you, um, yeah. you were talking about before, like, learning a little bit of Russian. Um, did you yeah. have many many barriers as far as the language was concerned uh, in places? A constant barrier. I yeah. mean, when I say I started to learn Russian, I like to think <laughs> I knew Russian, yeah. but I didn't know Russian. <laughs> I knew maybe a few sentences. But then in terms of like Europe, suddenly you're every few days you're a new country, new language, new money, new phone sim. You just can't settle in. Yeah. Um, so... 
I got good at sign language, like yeah. eating, sleeping. Um, there was one point, I love listening to podcasts. I'm a huge podcast nerd. So across America, I started to learn Spanish, a Spanish <laughs> podcast, <laughs> and I dropped that pretty quick. But there was one point when a jerk came past me, and I was listening to this podcast, and he like gave me some road rage, and I started yelling at him in Spanish. <laughs> I think he might have said, hey, how are you? This is super. I tried to make but I was never very good. <laughs> what um, what yeah. kind of podcast did you listen to? Oh, everything. I really enjoyed Stuff You Should Know because, yep. yeah, you'd learn along the way. Yep. Um, I enjoyed, there's a few Australian comedians that do a podcast, just yep. kind of lighten the mood. Um, Ross Barrage and The Hidden Athlete is really great. Yeah. He does awesome stuff. But then, you know, the big ones, Joe Rogan, yeah. Rich Roll. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're my favourites. Mm. Yeah. You should get in touch with Ross. I'm sure he'd love to yeah. have a chat with you as yeah. well. Yeah, well, he has. He's contacted me. Yeah, yeah. sweet. I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm said, sure he has, yeah. Um, when you're in Adelaide, I'm coming to Adelaide for the two down under. I'd love to interview you. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so I'm still 15,000 kilometers away. So I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. No, he's, no, he's off, a cool guy. He's off to do the Tour Divide on yeah. single speed. Oh, give it, wow. Give yeah. it another crack. So I think yeah. he's probably, if he hasn't left already, he's just about Very to go. Close. So, yeah. yeah, brilliant. Mm. That's exciting. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Mm. Um, really, oh, Really, really boring question that I know Teeth and I got sick of after we've gotten back from these adventures. Can I guess, Can I guess yeah, it? Yeah, go for it, Teeth. What are you going to do next? <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. or have you recovered? <laughs> yeah. yeah, brilliant. Uh, yeah. That was yeah. A bit, well, that's too, I like when, when Michael was kind of doing this round the world race. It was like he had this tagline, which is really cool. It's like, want a bigger race? Find a bigger planet. <laughs> so it's like, that is cool. Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know. What's um? Yeah, I don't know. You, we we have to ask the people question. People want to know. Yeah, yeah, what's... yeah, yeah. What's next, hey? Mm. Um, yeah, it is. I don't enjoy that question. Like I've no, been yeah. asked that before I left. Well, what are you going to do when you get home? And I really struggled because it felt like people weren't happy with what I was doing then. So, mm. hey, can I just do this? And then when I get home, maybe I'll think about what's next. So everyone wants more and more from you. It's so I can't do more. It's the world. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we've always faced that too. Like we'll yeah. ride over, you ride to Adelaide and then people in Adelaide will go, oh, are you going to ride back home? And they're almost yeah. disappointed yeah. if you say yeah, no. Yeah, wait, wait for all the long distance jokes now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like no one, no one wants to ride with you now because yeah. they think you're going to go out for like thirty nine thousand kilometers. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Sorry, Jimmy, no. interrupt. Yeah. No, you're okay. But um, yeah, now I have sort of decided what is next, and it's something I did think about a lot coming across the Nullarbor. Yeah. Um, and I'm spoken to Adam about this and with the backing from you guys at Curve, I'm going to make an attempt at the Indie Pack. Oh, yeah. cool. I reckon, yeah, I, I look at the Indie Pack and I kind of take people like yourselves, you know, Jesse, Sarah, Michael, Christoph, and I kind of look at it and say, well, what's the difference between them and me? Why can they do these 400-kilometer back-to-back days and I can't? And what excites me is I don't think I have an answer for that at the moment. Mm. But maybe I'll get halfway across the Nullarbor and I'll realise and I'll be able to say, cool, that's why they can do it and I can't. <laughs> and I'll know for next time. But mm. maybe I'll get to Adelaide or Melbourne. But what if I get to Sydney and mm. suddenly there isn't an answer? Imagine that. A mm. 20-year-old dude has taken it to some of the world's best and thrown down a performance. I think that probably scares me even more. If I could do it, absolutely. But, yeah, well, there's a lot the of thing. things to pull together, a lot of working out to do. But mm. yeah, the indie fact, Jesse, that's mm. what's next. Fantastic. Well, there's no reason why you can't do it. Mm. <clears throat> Your bike will be a lot lighter. <laughs> it's gonna be magic. You'll, you'll be like Superman. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty much. Yeah. It's the opposite of what you're doing now, which is similar to what we're doing. It's just um yeah it's. You know how to ride the bike. It's just a change in pace and what you need to get by. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's 
I cannot wait to get a set of carbon rims underneath me. I'm going to feel like Superman. Now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you ridden your bike unloaded? Yes, I have. Well, <laughs> Do you feel I like a rocket? my car to get through <laughs> Southeast Asia. So in order to get around places now, I need to ride my bike. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, it nips around corners a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. I can bunny hop it again. Just little <laughs> things that you forget. Yeah, <laughs> You can pick it up easily, mm. carry it upstairs and not have to stop for a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's, yeah. um, what's the best thing about being home? Probably like a constant cupboard full of food. Yeah, Um, yeah, I'm not having to think about where I'm going to get my next meal or water from. It's, yeah, pretty cruisy. But definitely, you know, seeing mum, dad, um, friends and family, a lot of people are keen to hear my story, which means a lot. You know, I've had a few newspapers, uh, radios kind of contact me. So I've been enjoying telling my story a bit as well. Hey, um, I've got to ask as well. This is this is something that's close to home for Tape and I at the moment. Mm. So you rode around the world. That's one thing, but the other thing that's kind of that people don't really think about is you kind of lived. You lived without a a permanent home yeah. for all that yeah. time too. So there's yeah. riding a bike. That's in some cases, you know, maybe that's the easy part. Yeah, um, but. You had to live. It's like you moved into a new home. This was this mobile home. You didn't yeah. know where you're going to stop each night, perhaps, um, and you didn't know where your next food was going to come from, where your water was going to come from. How did you find that adjustment to your new home? Yeah. Cool. I'm glad you brought this up, Jesse, because it is something that goes um, unrecognized. You know, cyclists themselves they look at it and they only look at your numbers and say, "What? Well, you only rode 100 kilometers today." Mm. I can do that. I do that every day. But they go back to a warm bed, a meal, a home-cooked meal, and it's the things, I call it the survival that gets um, forgotten. So for me, it's constant. You know, you're always thinking, all right, how much food do I need? Where can I get food? Should I carry food for two days or one day? Do I need water? Where will I sleep? Am I going the right way? Have I got a visa? It's like always ticking, ticking. And that's something I noticed actually coming back home now is I sit there and I haven't got these thoughts and I kind of feel a bit lost and empty because there's water in the tap, there's food in the fridge and there's a bed in my house. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great lifestyle. I mean, how cool is that that you don't know where you're going to sleep each night? And I, I could go... Um, yeah, all day, and then five minutes before I was sleepy, I'd find a place. And it was actually something I struggled with probably the first month coming through Australia. I remember climbing up uh, into the Victorian Alps, and it got dark. I didn't know where I was camping, and I had this huge panic attack. I just stopped, and I was, like, freaking out. I didn't know what I was going to do or what I'd gotten myself into. But then I contrast that with, you know, the final few months of my trip. And I was very laissez about it. I was like, oh, well, <laughs> I'll sleep wherever. And if it gets dark, it's easier to find somewhere to hide. We'll work it out. <laughs> so there was a huge change in it throughout the year. Did you have trouble initially? Did you have trouble with, with um, any of your kit? So, for instance, mm-hmm. with sleeping or anything like that did you have a pillow that just wasn't working or a mat that was crap or jesse's basically highlighting all our problems and we would like some answers okay can you fix our problems yeah yeah well i think i was pretty lucky like um for years like uh the year before i left i was working as an outdoor guide Mm. so i've been working carrying everything in a rucksack running bushwalks putting things in a kayak running paddling trips so in terms of carrying everything I owned for a few days wasn't anything new. So I knew um, what tent worked for me, what sleeping mat worked, what pillow worked. And I actually recommended one to you, Sarah. Yeah, I know. But you don't like yeah. air mattresses. <laughs> so. We have a unique setup at the moment. We've um we've got two different two different mats and two different pillows. So it's it's a <laughs> yeah, personal <right>. thing. <laughs> yeah. 
perfect. We did. But, we just like scrapped everything that we knew and thought, okay, well, let's yeah. just try some comfort <laughs> items. And yeah, of yeah. course, they didn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Oh, I'm sure you'll work it out. Mm. But it sounded yeah. like you. So you had you had the experience with that sort of thing in the lead up. So you knew what was going to work for you. But was there yeah. were there any surprising things that you've that that you found like with your kit that just didn't work that you needed to sort out on the way? Um, I think I was always constantly chopping and changing stuff. Um, like you look at the setup I had when I began. I had a different setup um, for the middle bit. I had a different setup again for the final few months. So I'm still, um, yeah, happy to say I don't have what I want yet, as in the setup I desire. And that'll always be chopping and changing as I find new things um, deep on the internet. You know, you can go into <laughs> some big wormholes about saving two grand on a pillow. And <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, nothing huge has stood out, but I was definitely always getting new things or things did break that you don't expect to break. Mm. But, mm. Now, some of the – this is another thing that doesn't get talked about much um, with these with these sort of rides. And I know Tief and I have had experience with this with our small adventures. Um, yeah, small but now. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's sometimes – it's hard to come back home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's so many beautiful things out on the road. You fall into a rhythm of living in a certain yeah. way. Um, mm-hmm. There's the – you know, it could be the night skies. It could just be not having the hassle of the, the, the day-to-day. It could be, you know, this just the the fact that you haven't spoken to anyone for, for two days. Um, yeah. And you, you kind of, you start talking and you, your voice doesn't quite work. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. <laughs> in some ways, it's it's hard to come back home. Yeah. Have you found, have you found any difficulties coming oh, back home? Yeah, a huge amount of difficulties. So... I think the big one for me is I felt very overwhelmed just um, with people. So I struggle when I'm with more than one or two people and it's suddenly like a lot of noise and it's something I haven't had for a year, like all different people talking at you. Um, So I'm aware of that, but I kind of just overall feel a bit lost. Like for a whole 13 months, I woke up every morning with the goal of cycling around the world. That's what I was doing. And then I'd go to bed and I could say, cool, I cycled 100 kilometers today. I cycled over these mountains. I cycled from here to here. I'd achieved something. But now I kind of wake up with no real reason to do something in that day. And I go to bed and I haven't really achieved what I have been achieving. And I just feel a bit lost and empty. So there's a lot of working out what's next, um, trying to fill my time with uh, seeing a couple friends, working things out, organising um, some work over the next few months, and I know it'll all settle down. But it's been a pretty, it's been a tough week, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's um, it's something that doesn't really get spoken about a lot. Um, I mean, your your trip was much larger in comparison to the races that we do, but. I've, I've always found it very difficult when you finish something that everyone around you is kind of in a celebration mode and you're kind of in an anti-climax mode and yeah. it's, and it can be really difficult to explain that to people around you that you, you, you do, you feel like you, you don't have anything to do. You've ticked that goal and, and yeah. like you said, you are lost and it's, and it's something that I don't think a lot of people speak about a lot. But um, something that yeah. probably should be spoken about a little bit more. Oh, definitely. I even found um, when I was on the road, you kind of flip that and I'd have like this super high moment and it's just like I want to share it with someone. So yeah. I'd find someone at home and they answer and they're, they're just like disappointed and unhappy. And mm. like, oh, that's cool. And, yeah, I quickly realised um, special moments like that are better to keep to yourself. They're Mm. my moments. Don't share them. Mm. But, yeah, it's it's a different feel. Mm. And it's a lot to think about, definitely. It's it's an interesting one. I know they've they've broached this a lot in sports psychology, especially with even with Olympic athletes, right? So Mm -hmm. Olympic athletes, they focus everything on on trying to win gold. And it's once every four years, right? And even if they win, 
um, there's this, they can fall into a big slump mm. after that because the mission's over. There's been this big, there's been this big build up, all this training, all this effort, and then suddenly it's done. It's yeah. finished. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And so I think, it, it's, yeah. um, yeah, it's something that's, that isn't really spoken in yeah, about in the ultra endurance races yeah. that we've done. But I think yeah. it, it goes with any big mission. When the mission's finished, um, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think the best bit of advice that was given to me was by a very close friend of mine, Rob McLean, who cycled around Australia when he was 21, 22. And he said to me, as soon as you get home, Jimmy, work out what's next and focus on that. Mm. So that's why I'm already... <laughs> Yeah, speaking to Adam and Kerb, yeah. we're building up a nice Belgi, yeah. um, kind of putting some more energy into the indie pack. Yeah, so I've yeah. got that thing to focus on, that next mission, mm. kind of dealing with the post-trip blues, no, I guess. Because I think that's what, yeah. they, that's what they talk about in, spo- in sports psychology as well. You have just have some short-term... You have some short-term goals. It could even be something completely unrelated to, you know, the bike or swimming or whatever your sport is. It could be a hike or it could be something. But have something that's short-term and then have something that's a bit longer-term that you can start focusing on and then that's a a good way to do it. So, yeah, I think your your mate's advice is is very sound. Um, But it's, um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough coming back, isn't it? Because there's no one else there that's sharing the Mm. exact same experience you are. So... Mm. Trying to explain, exactly. yeah. Trying to explain those yeah. feelings to people is very difficult. Mm. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. having issues after some of these races in the past, and and yeah, no, you don't. You have all these these sort of these sort of feelings blues. of you know post race blues or and yeah. and there's no one to really there's no one to talk to because they. <laughs> Because no, no one can really relate to it. So you can exactly. talk to your, your mum or your dad. You can talk to close friends. But um, yeah, it was cool. Like after after I did some of these races, I I reached out to some of these other riders mm. to have a chat to them. Yeah, and I remember Mike Hall was was really cool in that respect. Um, and so he would say that you know after he did these races, he when he first started, he thought, oh, he's going to come back and he'd have all this fitness and just mm. tear apart all these races. But then <laughs> turned out that yeah. I asked him how he went after his round the world trip. <laughs> and, um, he was, he was prone to depression and he had, yeah. he said the six months yeah. after was, was, um, was, was incredibly tough. Um, but, yeah. but yeah. And after these Definitely. races, he said that, you know, biggest ma- mistake he had, he made was like thinking he could just, go into superman. superman mode and tear apart mm. the next thing right. but but really yeah. he'd go for a yeah. ride around the block for 5k's and and end up in tears for some bizarre reason and yeah. have to go home well, <laughs> just drink I, heavily and eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah even like driving along and a song will come on that reminds yeah. me of a place or um, on the radio and i'll just start crying i yeah. had that the other day and i was just crying and i couldn't stop it and I was like, still crying to me. <laughs> but you can't. It just kind of overwhelms you. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know how long things like that are going to go on for. Mm. Mm. It's a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah. And time, mm. yeah, time time will heal heal all of that. But, <clears throat> I don't know, I guess my my only advice would be just try to, try to be proud of yourself and mm. what you've achieved. And for some, because when you're doing these missions, in some ways you've got to, you've got to flog yourself a bit. Um, yeah. But there's a time to also be your own best friend, um, and oh, yeah. I think I think now's one of those times when you can you can sort of re- hopefully reflect in the glow of it and yeah. and be your own oh, best cool. friend and look after yourself. Yeah, mm. thank you. Yeah, mm. That's really good advice. Yeah, it's it's hard though because when you're doing these things, you're out there and you do have to drive yourself because you have to get back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some days you might <laughs> yeah, not want to yeah. go on, but you've yeah. got to get back. So you have to, sometimes exactly. you've got to flog yourself, but when it all finishes, you can flip out of that mode and you can be your own best friend. Um, and you need to, yeah. there's no point in doing these things unless you can, you can um, look back on them with some pride. Um, yeah. And maybe oh, that's, cool. maybe that's the time now. Um, yeah. That's some very cool words. Mm. Thanks, Jesse. <laughs> but, mm. um, so, well, it's, it's awesome that you've got some plans coming up. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. What's 
What is the next? Uh, what does the next month or two look like for you? You, you mentioned you're gonna you're gonna um, do some work. Do some work. <laughs> you want yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as in, it's work I enjoy. So I've got starting next week. I've got three three day bushwalks up at Mount Remarkable, mm. where you know you drive the bus up, you walk with eight to ten students for a few days, drive the bus back, and then I've got a cat kayaking trip up at Cataratco for another three days. So kind of the next two weeks, I'm full on with work, yeah. um, which is good, keeps me busy. Mm-hmm. I've definitely got itchy feet sitting around home and <laughs> i got to pay for this Belgie somehow. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't have much money left. <laughs> so, yeah, it'll be good to get that. Um, I've got a few talks I'm doing. So yeah. Westminster School has got me coming in to chat at a wellbeing program. I think I've got a few other interviews lined up uh, here and there. But, yeah, definitely some work. Keep riding my bike, catching up with friends, and just sort of take it take it as it comes. Oh, that's fantastic, mm. Jimmy. I should say you mentioned Westminster there. We both yeah. went to the same school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably probably 20 years apart or something like that. <laughs> Maybe. I, did, I finished did you in, go through West Venture program? Yeah, Was I did. Was that around? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I finished in 94. I, I can't 94. remember. Yeah, I think 94 was my last year. Um, West Venture, there was a... That, this is this, this camp that you had to <laughs> no, do in. Was it year ten? Year ten that you did yeah, West Venture? Yeah, Venture yeah, camp. Yeah. Sail and kayak. Yeah, yeah. they sailed and kayak kayak around the. It was sort of down down around um you know Highmash Highmash Island the Kurong yeah, yeah. sort of thing. Um, ah, yeah, cool. yeah. So no, yeah, I did wonderful. that. We did we did some kayaking, did some hiking. We sort of like dug for water in the sand. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got fresh water. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it, it all culminated in a 17k run or something like that that we had yeah, to do as a team. Yeah, 17k run. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's cool. I think, so that's the type of programs I work on. Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, that's uh, great. How cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I remember remember that fondly. The the whole it was that was a good it was a good experience sort of um cuz the 17k run when you were, you know, however old you were. I think I was 14 or something. I was a little bit younger. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. yeah, just as a 14, 15 year old doing that sort of thing seems very out of reach, but mm. actually getting through it and getting your whole team through it was a, was yeah, a pretty special pretty experience. But, as yeah, opposed yeah. to riding around the world when you're mm. 19. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it sets the scene, though. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, That's crazy. Well, Jimmy, <clears throat> it's, been, uh, it's been great to chat. Do you have any. So, actually. Mm. If if there are any other if there are any other eighteen year old eighteen year olds out there listening, um, or any forty year olds out there, forty one year olds, how like yeah. what, what would, if, and they were sort of like, thinking they were sitting there thinking oh yeah I'd love to do that but you can you know, give us some tips yeah like we want to be we want to be like you <laughs> no well I think yeah I wrote on I kind of put together a final few words and I said at the end of that. It's never aspire to be me or aspire to do what I've done. You should aspire to be yourself and do your own around the world ride. So I can sit here and tell people, go this way, take this road, meet these people, but that's not going to be what they want to get out of it or the best thing for them. And I think it's a matter of just taking on that front door mile. That's a really cool metaphor I've been told a few times. And it's once you're a mile from your front door, you've done the hardest bit. You know, you've sold everything you own like you guys. You've left your mum and dad. You've left your home and you're just on the bike. And then from there, it just happens. Like taking it day after day, it kind of snowballs and it starts with something small and then it gets very terrifying very quickly. So it's a matter of, yeah, embracing it, taking it as it comes and just being real about what you want to achieve and how you're going to get there. Mm. Oh, they're great words, Jimmy. Um, all right. Well, Thanks, <laughs> we won't, we won't um, hold you up much longer. Um, we but, need to, um, yeah, we, we need to like somehow work Adelaide into our plans. Yeah. So we can have a beer with Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. We'll get back yeah. there. We'll get back there soon. That's for sure. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Cool. But, um, Congratulations on completing that 
mammoth mission. You're amazing. Thank you. Yeah, that's it's pretty special to come from people like you guys. Thank right. you. We're yeah. um yeah. we're just starting our own little mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're trying to yeah, cool. trying to work out how our Send way help. of doing things. Yeah, um, well, I find it really cool. Mm. Now I'm looking at the racing. Mm. It's kind of like you guys have gone the racing to the heavy touring, yeah. and I've gone the heavy touring to the racing. Yeah. So if you've got any tips for me, I'll talk about <laughs> it another time. But uh, give me your knowledge. Absolutely. <laughs> no, ab- yeah. more than happy. More than happy. Yeah. Too, cool. Yeah. All right, well, Jimmy. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit stop on the record button, and we can cool. we can keep talking for a little bit. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that was that was Jimmy Ashby. Mm-hmm. What an amazing adventure he's been on. Um, he doesn't sound like a twenty year old, no. does he, Teeth? No. Even if you if anyone actually followed him online too. Just the photographs of him over this last year, he just is miles beyond what any 20-year-old is. He just looks more mature and more wise based on the experiences that he has had. Mm. He's an incredible guy. What an incredible mission. But he, Jimmy has given, his, given the details of his website during the podcast yep. as well. Um, and what was it? Jimmy Ashby around the world by bike.com. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get it wrong. Jimmy um, rides far. Jimmy <laughs> rides bikes. Listen I think it was, to the podcast again. Yeah, listen yeah. to the podcast again. Um, uh, but yeah, donate to the cause. Um, Motor neuron disease. Yep. Close to his heart as well. And um, dollar per kilometre. Yeah, dollar per kilometre. He's just about there. He's over 30,000, yep. I think, yep. which is an a amazing so effort. Give up your coffee. Give up your overpriced wanky coffee and <laughs> send him send and him the change send a donation yeah. Jimmy's way um, to motor neuron disease alright Teef well let's let's get back to um, our tenting our tenting <laughs> tent is a new rent for us um, we pushed a bit late tonight to try to get some dinner so it's off to the camp kitchen now yeah. and uh, to cook ourselves a feed thanks for joining us on the Race Ride Seek podcast we'll see you next time